everybody. How's everybody doing? Yeah? I am so glad to see you today. I literally was telling uh, some folks yesterday that I was thinking, who's going to come to church this morning? Um, we put out some information on social media. We began to see other uh, organizations, businesses, churches kind of uh, closing shop or reducing. And I was like, what's going on? I mean, it doesn't seem that bad. Everything closes down in the South for anything which I happen to love. <laughs> it's pretty good to live in the South, um, especially when you're a student, right? No school is like the best news ever. Um, anyway, when you grow up, you realize that work goes on regardless. So Cyber Friday it was for us. Um, but anyway, um, I'm so glad that you're here. I want to thank, if y'all would join me in thanking um, Bob Buffard for coming early this morning, putting salt out, John Rager and his whole volunteer team getting things ready. Thank you. Um, it was actually worse than what it is, you know, what it was when you came in, and I'm just so thankful for all of our volunteers. We had turds of volunteers this morning, and all of our ministry interns as well. Thank y'all so much for making it possible for us to be here today. Uh, what? Herds and what? And tons. Herds and tons. Anyway, you know what I was saying. If you're, if you're new this morning, I'm Barrett. I don't know why they let me pastor here, but that's my job. And uh, it's like this pretty much every week. So you, you get what you get. And if you want to come back, that's on you. Um, anyway, seriously, it's fun to have, it's fun, to have fun together. I was thinking um, every time I see the snowfall, um, I think about the gospel in ways, and maybe that's just the pastor in me, you can't get away from it, but I, I hope that it's not just the pastor in me, I hope it's just Jesus in me, and I hope it's Jesus in you, but I think about the verse in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, come, let us reason together, says the Lord, though their sins be like scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. And I'm so thankful this morning um, that we come to worship not on the, the basis of our own merit, the basis of our own goodness or ability uh, to do something to be right with God. We come this morning to celebrate God and what he is willing and able to do for us because of his great love for us and mercy toward us, his perfect work of righteousness and gift of forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ, his son sent for us. That whoever might believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. I'm just so thankful for God this morning. I, I know my heart. Do you know your heart? I know my heart. And my sins are like scarlet. It is dirty uh, deep down. And uh, that would be where I would love to be if it weren't for God and his wonderful grace and mercy. But I'm so thankful, though our sins be like scarlet, he washes us, he cleans us, he gives us newness of life, white as snow. Praise God for his amazing gift of grace. And uh, if you know nothing else this morning, I just hope that you know God loves you. And this is his desire for you, that you experience newness of life in his son, Jesus. Let me pray for us as we continue in worship this morning. Father, we are here today uh, not just to go through the motion of church, uh, not just to be entertained or to just fulfill some duty. Lord, we are here because we really desire to meet with you, God. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you just as we think about the white that covers our dirty streets of Memphis this week. Um, we thank you for the reminder, the physical reminder of what you do in our hearts. Lord, what you do for all who are in relationship with you, Jesus. Lord, that though our sin be like scarlet, Jesus, that you have made us 
new. And Lord, you make us white like snow. We thank you, Jesus, for your purity of life live for us, Lord, the gift of perfect righteousness that you impute to all who believe. Lord, we thank you so much for going to the cross for us, for suffering in our place, though you did not deserve it because you had never sinned, Jesus. You are the Son of God, perfect in every way, but Jesus, you suffered and you went to the cross because that is what we deserved. And in your love, Jesus, you took our place. And because you bled and died for us, there is forgiveness of every single sin possible in our life, past, present, and future, Jesus. You are able to make us clean as if we had never sinned, Lord. You wash us white as snow. Thank you for your love and grace, Jesus. And thank you for putting our sin unto death, for dying in our place, saying from the cross that it is finished for all who believe. The work is done. Now all that is left is for us to believe in you. And Jesus, to prove that you are who you said you are, to prove that there is victory over death and sin and the grave. Lord, you rose in newness of life, the Son of God, the King of kings, the triumphant one, the forever and forever Savior of all who believe. Jesus, your life guarantees that grace defines our relationship with you, not our sin, but your grace. And we thank you, Jesus, for your triumph. Lord, we are here today to celebrate you, and we just thank you. We thank you so much for who you are, for your promise. Lord, for the hope that we have in you. God, we are grateful. And uh, we just tell you this morning, thank you. Speak to us, Lord. We, we really desire to hear from you. Um, we desire to be transformed by you. May we uh, have receptive hearts this morning where your word can go forth, find root, and bear fruit that leads to life. May we not just be hearers, but doers of your word. And I thank you that you are able, by your Holy Spirit, your living word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning. I am so thankful uh, that this month we're having the opportunity to lay some foundation for 2018. Um, This time of year, we typically uh, go through together and talk about some really essential things in the life of our church and the life of us as Christians. And this morning, I hope you're really excited that you came because we're going to talk about money. (laughs) Isn't that great? Um, Yeah. I figured some of you were going to be excited. Um, for those of you who are new, um, those of you who are part of our church, uh, there could be a temptation to think, oh my goodness, um, or to get a little bit nervous, think that there's some hidden agenda in this, um, you know, think that it, sometimes uh, churches can be perceived, and it's unfortunate because of abuse in some church circles, and I'm not going to deny that it's true. I mean, there are people in every business in every realm of society that can abuse um, that which is right, that which is just, and give everybody else a bad name. Um, and that can be true in church circles. I know that some people can think that church is all about money. I, I just want to tell you this morning um, that no matter what you, what you think um, about kind of why we're talking about this today, um, I promise that my motivation is pure, and our church's motivation is pure in this. And this is really something that I believe that is for you. Um, it's not for us, it's for you. And to be faithful to God's word, additionally, at pastorally, I feel a great burden and desire to talk about this. One of the main reasons is that if you look at a survey of the scriptures, over 2,000 verses in the Bible actually reference money. I mean, it is a common topic in the scriptures. And on top of that, I believe it's on the screen here, some of these graphics, 15%, it's estimated, 
uh, about 15% of all of Jesus' teachings actually deal with the topic of money. And it's fascinating to me that sometimes we do run away from talking about it like we do, um, or thinking about it, or working on it, or sometimes we end up in this thinking that, yeah, that, it's my money, you know, the churches don't have to do with my money, or God don't have to do with my money. We sometimes separate our faith and our finances as if they're, they're opposing, or they're just different categories of life or of our heart. But the reality is, um, the Bible over and over and over tries to get our attention that the discussion of our money and how we handle money, what we are to do with money, is a really important topic. And Jesus, over and over in his ministry, talks about this quite directly, quite honestly, and sincerely. And so because of that, we need to have our ears kind of tuned to what God is saying. And you, you might ask your question, you know, what is, what is the big deal? And I hope this morning that... Um, we will have the opportunity to talk about some of why it's a big deal. I've listed a couple of, uh, a, a litany of different references here this morning. Um, these are just some of the places, if you're writing, I always encourage you to take notes, um, that you could really go back later and go deeper, especially now that small groups have not quite yet started. This week is our kickoff week, by the way. Are you all excited about that? Woo! So if, if you're not in a small group, or even if you are in a small group, this week is a great week to get involved in a small group, and there's going to be a fellowship this week with your group. Um, there are sign-ups out in the lobby. You can find out more about that. But because we're not doing a deeper dive in our small groups around this topic, I encourage you to take notes so that you can go and talk about this later, think about it, meditate, pray through it, and really consider what God is saying and what he would have you to do. But over and over, you see Jesus talking about money, Mark 10 Verse 21, this one thing you lack, he says to the rich man, go sell all you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Luke 6, verse 20, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, but woe to you who are rich, 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 um, for you have received your consolation. Luke 14, verse 33, anyone who does not renounce everything that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke 18, verse 25, it is easier to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Luke 12, verse 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Luke chapter 12, verse 33, go sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves money bags that do not grow old. Luke 8, 19, verses 8 and 9, Zacchaeus says, behold, behold, Lord, the half of all of what I have, my goods, I give to the poor. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Matthew 13, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man finds and cover up. But then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Luke, verse 21, verse 1, he sees the widow put in two small copper coins and says, truly, this lady, this widow has put in more than all the rest of them. Luke chapter 12, verses 20 to 21, God said to the man who built even bigger barns, you fool, this night your soul is required of you, and these things that you prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says, so it is for the one who lays up treasure for himself and, not, and is not rich toward God. Luke chapter 9, verses 58 and 59, foxes have holes, birds have air, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You come and follow me. Now this is just a sampling I mean, I hope that you are a student of the Bible and you spend time with God and with Jesus by reading his word and spending time in the Gospels. If you, if you 
are a student of God's word, you'll know that this is a dominant theme. And we've got to ask, why? What is the big deal? Well, this morning, I want to just go ahead and give you kind of an overarching main point that I'm going to repeat over and over and over that I hope can help you see why this is a big deal. Here's the thing that a lot of us get wrong. We think that God is chasing our money. We think, we get reluctant that God, God's chasing our money, but I've got to tell you this, friends. God is not chasing our money. He is chasing our hearts. God is not chasing your money, although money has a part of this. But God is chasing your hearts. He's chasing your hearts. If you've got your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to get them open. There's a verse that is here on the screen that you can mark in your own scripture. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to it. That way you can see where it is and go back to it for future reference. The same verse is repeated in Luke chapter 12, verse 34. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. This morning I'm going to be teaching topically, meaning that I'm going to be jumping around to a couple of verses uh, to, to help us see in a clear way uh, what God says about this topic. Luke chapter 6, verse 21. You see, I just said, God is not chasing our money, but he's chasing our hearts. Do you believe that God knows you better than you know yourself? You believe God knows what is best for you better than you know what is best for yourself? I do. And when Jesus speaks to us, I believe that he's speaking truth and he's speaking right to our hearts. He says here, this is familiar perhaps to you, but he says here, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Would y'all say that with me this morning? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yeah. Some might call this the treasure principle. The treasure principle essentially helps us recognize that where our money is is a sign of where our heart is. Um, a couple of key points to the treasure principle, and hopefully you can write some of these down. These are just basic things, but sometimes exposing basic things are really helpful for us. The hard part is that your money goes, where your money goes shows what you love, right? Money is just a currency of exchange. So you've got to recognize, I mean, money is paper. Y'all understand that, right? Well, now we use plastic. That's nothing. That's just all electronic things that I don't understand. But physical money, we, we understand that it's just paper. Coins are just metal, right? They've been fashioned in such a sense. But what, what makes money money, or what makes credit credit, I don't know if we even want to talk about that this morning because I'm not necessarily about credit, but what makes money money is that you can exchange it for something that you love. Money is a sign of value, right, by our society. Money represents a value. And the reason that money is valuable is because you can take that value in the money and you can exchange it for something that you treasure. That's what 
the big deal about money really is. It's not the actual paper. It's not the actual coin. It's the opportunity to exchange money, to use money in a way to utilize it to basically go after the things that you really treasure. Therefore, if you want to discover what you value, you follow your money. Everybody tracking so far? So because you're exchanging money, you're swiping the card, you're making the exchange for the things that you treasure, if you want to find out what you treasure, you just follow your money. So, if anybody ever done a, a study of their, anybody ever use like mint.com, or you, does anybody look at where they spend money? <laughs> you might not want to admit this. Has anyone looked at their bank account in the last month, please? Um, it is more revealing. There's, there's a couple of areas of life. I remember the first time we did a budget exercise, I was like, I never want to do that again. <laughs> I hate, like Michelle has to beg me to talk about money. I hate looking at it. I hate looking at where it goes because it, is, it, just, it just stinks to know where your heart is. Y'all agree with me? It stinks sometimes to realize what you have or don't have. <laughs> But it also stinks to realize, holy cow, I spent $120 a month at Starbucks? What does that say about me? We spend that much money eating out? I didn't think about the fact that I eat out every day for lunch. Seven, eight, ten dollars a day. That adds up over the course of a month, right? What do I value? Do I value eating to just really have the nutrition for the day, or do I value this particular kind of experience? The way I spend my money on food might show something about who I really am. Dun, dun, dun. Right? How much money is going toward entertainment? How much money is going toward savings accounts? What does that show you about your heart and, and maybe your fear or your anxiety or maybe your greed and selfishness. Well, I mean, how much money is, is going toward things that are aimed to just make you more money? Does that show me something about what I want more of? I'm not saying that any of these particular choices are right or wrong, but what I am saying is that they all reveal something about my heart. If I believe what Jesus says, they reveal something about my heart. So the treasure principle not only says that money is, is, is valuable and that we can exchange it for the things that we treasure, and then if we want to find out what we treasure, we follow the money. If you go back to what Jesus is saying, he's saying where your money is going, your heart is going. And where your heart is going, your money is going. This is the, just another way of saying exactly what Jesus says. Here, Matthew Chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is a direct correlation between what we're exchanging with our money and what is going on in our heart. 
And God is not after our money. He's after our what? After our hearts. And as I've thought about this, I've thought, wow, this is, this is a really important conversation. Because money begins to expose my heart. If we're serious about looking at it, where our money goes. It begins to expose our heart. But God's aim in exposing our heart is to grow our heart more and more in love with him. There's another verse just down in the same chapter, verse 24. If you go right down, just skip like three paragraphs down in my Bible it is. When Jesus continues to talk about money, he says this. Now, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, something that stands out to me is the word serve. If you look at it, it uses it twice. And the big question here is, how in the world do we serve money? If you think about it. I mean, does, I guess, what I've, what I've begun to realize is this is more about worship than it is serving. Here's why I'm saying this. If you think about money, we're not saying that we need to help money in some way, right? Money doesn't need our help. Would y'all agree with that? So when he's saying no one can serve money, I mean, oh, money, let me help you out, little boy. You're so small and green, you know, like I... I don't know how you would like help money. It's, it's not like it has any needs. It's sufficient in itself. So what is he saying then when he says, don't serve money? It doesn't, meet to, it doesn't mean to meet money's needs, but rather it means to look to money to meet your needs. And then because you're looking to money to meet your needs, you become devoted to money. Do you see that? If you look to money to meet your needs, in other words, your money is going to provide you a service. Your money is going to take care of the things that you need this month. Your money is going to be the key that fulfills your dreams. My money is going to be what I'm planning and strategizing and maneuvering to figure out because my money is my key to my happiness, my needs, my future, my security, my pleasure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What happens is if we become, if we have that attitude toward money, where we look to money to meet our needs, what ends up happening is because we're looking to money to meet our needs, we end up serving money. We become devoted to money. Y'all tracking with that? Think about it in the same way as we think about our relationship with God. What does it mean to serve God? Because he says down here you cannot serve both God and money, so he's correlating it to what could happen in our relationship with God. Do we serve God 
As if he needs something? No, Acts 16 tells us clearly, God is not served by human hands as though he needs anything. For in him he created life and breath and everything. God doesn't need to be served by us. Y'all understand that, right? What does it mean to serve God? It's not as if we're meeting something that he's deficient in. No, it means that we're looking to God to meet all of our needs. We recognize that we need to be completely served by God. And because we're looking to God to meet our needs, we become devoted to him. And in that way, we serve God. Right? We look to God for security. We look to God for the fulfillment of our dreams. We look to God for happiness. We look to God for contentment. We look for God to take care of our daily needs today, our daily needs tomorrow, our daily needs a year from now. And because we're looking to God for all of those things, we end up becoming devoted to him. Now, the interesting thing in what Jesus says, now, Jesus knows something. Friends, this is not an American problem. This is a worldwide problem. In every culture, among every age, money always sets itself up as an alternative to God, as the treasure of our hearts and an object of our worship. Let me say this again. In every culture that I've ever been to around the world, if you look back at ancient writings to this present day, Jesus was talking in his day and The money verses in the Bible go all the way back to the beginning of time. In every culture around the world, for all of time, money has always set itself up as an alternative to God, as a treasure of our hearts and an object of our worship. That's why Jesus says, nobody can serve two masters. In other words, you've got to make a choice. Money becomes a threat to your obedience to love God supremely. Money becomes, we are tempted to make money an idol. So money is a big deal because money is a temptation, Jesus says, in all of our hearts that we could end up becoming more devoted, more loyal, more concerned more dedicated to money and the things money, it's not just money itself, but the things that money can buy, things in this world, we can end up becoming more infatuated with that than we can be with God himself. And Jesus says, watch out. Our hearts are meant to find value, satisfaction, and purpose in God, not money. Our hearts are meant to find their all in all in God, not money. And we can't have it both ways. We can't be loyal and devoted to money and yet be loyal and devoted to God. If we go the route of money, we end up becoming slave and trapped and not free, not happy. We end up with temporary joy that's not real lasting joy. And and God is after our hearts to find satisfaction and treasure and joy in him and him alone. Our riches are in God. If you flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 
verse 9. I've used this verse before. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In the middle of Paul's conversation with the church of Corinth, his conversation with them about their need to give. He's imploring them to be, to be generous. He's imploring them to use their money uh, toward the Lord. And part of what he, he appeals to here, he goes back to the gospel. He goes back to what the money conversation is really all about. And I'm telling you, if you're listening to Jesus today, you'll hear what he's saying. The money conversation is about your heart. It's about whether your heart's going to be allegiant to God or your heart's going to be allegiant to money. Whether your heart's going to be, find its treasure in God or your heart's going to find its treasure in money. We've got to recognize that God is after our hearts. And Paul, appealing back to this gospel that God is after our hearts, says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He ain't saying that Jesus has come to fill your bank accounts, to give you the Mercedes, to buy you a new house, all of that kind of stuff. That's not what, what Paul's appealing to here. He's appealing to the fact that we were lost, dead in our trespasses and sins, poor and bankrupt before God, with nothing Nothing in our bank accounts, our spiritual bank accounts per se. And God, being rich in his grace and mercy, chose not to hoard everything to himself, but chose in his love for us to give freely for us all. Though he was rich, he chose to become poor. Poor for us who are poor, so that we who are poor might become rich in all that he offers. That is good news for poor folks. Y'all know what I'm saying? That God has given freely his riches for all of us. In other words, God has done everything from start to finish that is needed to satisfy our hearts in him. And our hearts are meant for him. So Paul, as he's talking to the church of Corinth about their money, he appeals back to go, listen, friends, this is about not just your money, this is about your heart. Is your heart rich in God? Do you feel right now a gratitude for the riches that God has poured out into your life? Are you content in God? Are you thankful and happy in the treasure that you have found in Jesus? Friends, if so, let go of that which you don't need. You don't need your money. You need God, and God has already proven that he is more than you need, and he can give you more than you need. Amen? So give, because it's not about money. It's about God. It's about God. Our hearts are meant to be satisfied in God, not money. Another way to say the main point this morning is this. I'm going to continue to try to find ways to say it so that we all get it. God does not want something from you. 
God wants something for you. As it relates to this money conversation, I've said it earlier, God is not chasing your money, he's chasing your hearts. Now I will say God does not want something from you, he wants something for you. Namely, God wants Michelle and me and you and our church, he wants people everywhere who trust and follow him. He wants us to be free. If I had to summarize one word uh, if what he wants for us and as it relates to money, he wants us to be free. He wants us to be free. First Timothy chapter 6. I know we're hopping a couple of places this morning, but I want to expose you to a couple of passages that I hope you will hear from God and then go back to later. First Timothy chapter 6. It's a smaller book, a few pages after the Corinthians passage that we just read. Paul is talking to Timothy, his disciple, as he urges them to be a godly man, but also to lead a people who are godly people. He says here in verse 6, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take we cannot take anything out of the world but if we have food and clothing with these we will be content but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money Note, he does not say money, but he says, for the love of money. What's wrong is not money itself, it's what money does to our hearts. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. If you go on, I'm going to skip to verse 17. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. God does not want something from us. God wants something for us. God wants us to be free, and God knows that freedom does not come when your heart is wrapped up in money. Freedom comes when your heart is wrapped up in God. Therefore, there's two basic commandments that I see in 1 Timothy 6. Number one is learn contentment in God. In other words, rest in the riches of his grace by faith. Resting in faith. Contentment. In other words, are you okay 
Just being with God and he being all you got. Are you okay if your position in life doesn't change at all for the good of the way this world sees? Oh, that's successful. Are you cool with that? No more raises, no more promotions. How about are you cool with the, a regression, downsizing, things being stripped, pulled away? Listen, we are not made to find our happiness, our treasure, our excitement in what we have in terms of this world. We're made to find our happiness, treasure, joy in God. Timothy says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For you didn't bring anything into this world. We all came naked and crying out of our mother's womb. And like some have said, you will never see hers pull on a U-Haul. We will not take anything out of this world. The quicker we can realize and learn contentment, contentment in God and God alone, recognizing that if we get more stuff, it's not going to make us any more happy than what we already have in God. If we get a bigger house, if we get a bigger car, if we get more vacation time, if we get whatever else, none of that is going to change in one way our true happiness because our true happiness is not found in the acquisition of more stuff, the security of more money, the, the, the increasing expansion of resources. No, true happiness is found in God. And friends, I'm telling you, I've only walked this road a little while and we're not walking it perfectly. I'm a fellow sojourner sojourner on this path with you toward figuring this out and learning to live with contentment in God and generosity with money. But listen, I'm telling you, the quicker you can figure this out, the happier you will truly be. Amen? The quicker you can figure out that it's not about the worldly stuff. It's not about your salary. It's not about your house size. It's not about your retirement account. It's not about the stuff. It's about contentment in God. God and God alone is all that I need. When we have that attitude, friends, our hearts will be happy and full because our treasure will be in a place that will never rust, that can never be destroyed, that can never be taken from us for our treasure will be in our eternal God and relationship with him never, ever ends and it never tires. Contentment in God. Freedom comes in contentment. And secondly, simplicity in life. Do you hear this of what Paul's saying? Tell the rich in this present age, because we know that those who get wrapped up in riches become tangled, they become ensnared, they fall into all kinds of pangs, and some have even left the faith because they get so excited about what the world has for them that they forget that it's not about that, it's about God. Because of that, friends, I urge you, Paul says, as for the rich in this present age, and friends, we are all rich. Those who have more than they need in this present age, I am telling you, charge them. Do not be haughty. Do not set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides everything. And they are to do good, be rich in good works, be generous, and ready to share. What is he saying? They are to divest themselves of their riches. They are to give it away. 
Those who have more than they need, they ought to embrace the attitude of humility and recognizing when God had more than he need, he shared it with us. And in the same way, with our riches, we give. We give generously. We give joyfully. We give sacrificially because, listen, if, if, even if we don't care about who we're giving to, which we should, but even if we're not concerned about that, we should be concerned about this, that we've got to keep our heart with God and away from getting tangled up with money. So therefore, I'm going to divest myself of what could ensnare me, and I'm going to embrace a call to be humble and content with God and God alone. Simplicity in life is actually a key, a key ingredient of what it looks like to embrace a life of godliness. Being simple and radically generous. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And yes, your money unleashes, your, your generosity unleashes needs being met in the church ministry going forward. And we could go on and on and on, but right now I'm just talking about your heart. God wants you to be free, to be happy, to be full. And he knows that that's never going to be found in the acquisition of more and more. It's only going to be found when you learn that it's in Jesus Christ. Amen? This is what he's saying to us. God is not chasing our money. He's chasing our hearts. And the reality is, when you treasure God, if you go back to the treasure principle, when you treasure God, your money will gladly follow. When you treasure God, your money will gladly follow. Suddenly, you begin to embrace a joyful disposition. When others hear, when you hear Jesus call you to give, you're not grumpy, you're not fretful, but you're recognizing that He's calling you to something wonderfully good. When your heart is with God, your money follows. It just naturally follows where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. When your heart is wrapped up in the riches of God, you're on this pathway toward figuring out how can I increase the joy that I have in God. It becomes about God and not me. It becomes about growing the happiness that I feel in the treasure that God has entrusted to me in Jesus Christ. It, it is about growing and figuring out how can I experience this joy more and more and more in life that comes in contentment and generosity. When your heart is wrapped up in God, and I think this is really where it starts with us. This is why I keep talking about the heart, because it's where it starts with me. I was, oh man, <laughs> I have, we have not been perfect in any way in this journey. I'm still figuring this out, but this, I know that where it starts with me is deep down in my heart. And that's what I'm praying for all of us, that we recognize that this is about learning to treasure supremely the riches of Jesus Christ. Our money will gladly follow. Now, we know as it relates to how it is that God has called us to use our resources, that there's a, a variety of ways that we could consider it. But what we know is, if you go back to 2 Corinthians, go not to chapter 8, but to chapter 9, there's a verse there that I want to look at that just helps us to see what it is that we as a church believe we are called to hold out as a vision for all of us 
for the year ahead. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. I just turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I was like, uh, that is not what I was thinking. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You see how it continues to go back to the heart? Do you believe that God is sufficient for you? See, this is where it all starts. Do we really believe that he is sufficient for us, that he will provide for us at all times and all ways and all seasons, all things, what we need. Do you believe that he's committed to take care of you? If so, friends, let that contentment unleash a simplicity of life and a radical generosity that abounds to the glory of God, that shows others and even shows yourself that it is not about my worldly possession. It is about God. It is about his riches that have been freely given to me. When people see others, Christian people, followers of Jesus, divesting of resources for the sake of others, they go, what is that about? You could have, but you're giving up. This doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense that God had everything and gave it all up for me. Therefore, my life of radical generosity doesn't make sense, but that is what God has done for me. And in love, that is what I am doing for others. And we don't do this under compulsion. I'm not doing this because I've got to meet some standard. I'm not doing this because I've got pressure to do it. I'm doing it out of joy. I'm doing it gladly and willingly because God gladly and willingly did it for me. You see? It's what God wants. Now, we've put out a little chart here. We've used it in the past few years, but as we think about what it looks like to continue to move toward generosity, and I'll use this in closing. We know that there are many people who choose to give occasionally. They see a project, they see a need, they have extra money in their pocket when the plate comes around. When a project is available, you see that. I recognize giving is, is, is more than just giving to our church. You give to God in many ways, but there are people who give occasionally, and we celebrate that. But as we think about what it looks like to continue to move to this vision of 2 Corinthians 8-9, we know that others give regularly. People who, who choose to give um, very intentionally. Now, in our church, um, interestingly, we have statistics that show this based on our covenant membership. Um, out of our covenant members, about 44% of our covenant members are giving regularly, classified as, as weekly or monthly giving. I don't know if this giving is, the next category is obediently, um, in the obedient category, I would consider that to be, to be giving tithe. Uh, God speaks of the tithe over and over, 10% of what God has entrusted to us, that we are freely, willingly, the first fruits of what he has given to us, we give back to God. And Jesus affirms this in Matthew when he's talking to the Pharisees. You know, He said, oh, you tithe dill and mint and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, love and justice and faithfulness. You should have done these things without neglecting the other. He affirms He affirms the tithe, but out of this regular category, it could be that 
these folks who are giving regularly are, are giving obediently. It could be that they're not. But we know that a minority of, of people are giving even regularly. And it's in our heart, knowing what Jesus has said about our hearts, that, listen, if we're not giving occasionally, or if we're giving occasionally but not giving regularly, or if our regular giving is not even kind of where God has called our hearts to be and our money to be in obedience, we've got to really examine what is going on in our hearts. What would, what would be holding us back from this kind of generous and joyful giving? Is it an issue of contentment in God? Is it an issue of simplicity of living? What would be the, the issue in our hearts if we really believe that this is a heart thing and that our money follows our heart and if our money is not going toward the Lord, at least in the ways that we can identify, then that's something that we really need to prayerfully consider. But as we move from occasional to regular to obedient, where we really believe God has called us to be is in this place of generosity. This place of not just asking the question, how much do I have to give to God? But asking the question, how much do I need to keep for myself? How much could I give to God? Kind of flipping the question, looking at the passage of the widow and recognizing like in Matthew 23, excuse me, Mark chapter 12, the passage of the widow who put in two coins, and Jesus looked at her and said, she put in two coins. The rest gave out of their abundance, but she gave out her need, and she's given more than all the rest. This place of generosity, recognizing that a gift is not measured by its size, but measured by its sacrifice. A gift is not measured by its size, but is measured by its sacrifice. You can give a lot of money in terms of like, I could write a check, I'm not saying me, someone could write a check for $2,000 this morning, and we look at it and go, wow, that's a lot of money. But for them, maybe it's not. You can give big amounts of money without having a generous heart. You can give big amounts of money, but have big amounts of money left over. (laughs) You could get real content thinking you're giving more than others financially, but in actuality, Jesus is not looking at the amount of money that you give. He's looking at the sacrifice of your heart. What's motivating your gift? Jesus is peering right into the hearts of everybody that are coming in to give. As the plate passes every week or we give online or whatever it is, he's peering right into the heart. And he's wanting what we know in the word is generous giving. Giving that reflects his generous love and gift toward us in Jesus Christ. Right? This is the heart that Jesus wants to cultivate. And when people have learned the joy of contentment in this category, really, the joy of simplicity... You see in this category people whose favorite thing to do with their money is give. People who love to see people being helped by what they give away. People who have the attitude of, I'm just so happy to give because I have more than I need. These are the people that blow me away here in our church and blow me away as we look at stories around our country and world. People who, when they come across extra money, they don't think first, hey, I want to buy a new toy, I want to take an extra trip, but hey, what could I do for God and others. People who see what has been entrusted to them and they see themselves as stewards and they want to be faithful to that to maximize the return for the kingdom of God. People who live selflessly 
people who live sacrificially, people who would rather help a student go on a mission trip or support uh, some cause for ministry rather than just eat at a nicer restaurant or drive a nicer car, people who are thinking about the Lord first, people like my papa who are convinced, he said it over and over and over to me when I was growing up, you can never outgive God. People like this, whose joy is contagious, they are the happiest and they are the humblest of people because they recognize their treasures in God and by their life they show us that that truth is reality. Amen? This morning, I just want to ask, you know, knowing that God is not chasing our money but chasing our heart, what is your next step? You know, what would be your next step in generosity? That's the first question I want to ask you this morning. What is your next step? Maybe it is that you're, you see yourself on that continuum, and listen, we are all a work in progress. Robbie and our worship team is coming as we consider some of these things, but we're all a work in progress. What is your next step? How could you move toward generosity? Secondly, what is your potential? Have you ever thought about that? Friends, we have incredible potential here in our church. What is your giving potential? Thinking less about what you have to give and more about what you could give. Some of you, you're on a path. Listen, money is not bad. I celebrate with you that God takes care of your needs. I celebrate every raise, every promotion, every, I mean, I'm all for God blessing us with money. Money's not bad, but the love of money is a root of all evil. And as we think about our potential friends, we're going to have perhaps increasing resources. Maybe right now even, you have more than you need. What is the potential for the kingdom of God if you learned greater contentment in God, greater simplicity of life, more radical generosity? What is your potential? What could happen? What could be unleashed? How many people could be helped? What ministry could be fueled? And as we consider our year ahead, what is our collective potential? Because God has not called any of us in a vacuum to do this alone, but God has called us almost like a mutual fund to come in week after week and to generously, joyfully, sacrificially give to God to unleash a wealth of ministry. What is our potential when we all do that? What if the 44% grew to 54%? or 64%, or 74%, or 94%. What if? It's not about meeting a budget. It's about generously giving to God and seeing a wealth of ministry happen, pointing all to the riches of what God has given to us. Though we were poor, he, though he was rich, became poor so that we who are poor might become rich. This is what generosity is all about. Let's show it. Let's show them how thankful we are. As Jesus was asked how it is that the rich were ever going to inherit the kingdom of God, he said this, Luke chapter 18, what is impossible for men is possible for God. In other words, this is about the heart. Rich folks, we, all of us in this room, we're not easily changed as it relates to our money. But our hope is this, that God can change our hearts. So this morning, let's just cry out to God. Cry out, God, would you fill me? Would you make me content? God, would you free me 
would you make me simple and radical in my generosity? Let me pray this morning. God, we ask today that you would do the impossible in us. Lord, that you would change our hearts. God, for your glory, we pray that we would be content in the riches that you have given to us in your grace in Jesus Christ. That we would be people who would be content in you and you alone. And God, that we would be people who are simple in how we choose to live. That we would give generously and joyfully because of all you've given to us. That we would do it to keep our hearts free of the love of money and to keep our hearts filled with your presence. And that we would do it to help others in their time of need. God, work the impossible in our hearts by your Holy Spirit and grace. May we be people who reflect your generous love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand, church. Let's respond to God. I'm here if you need me. Prayer counselors in the back. Any decision, any prayer request, you come and talk to us. We're here.